Hello, I'm Simon Rimmer, and this is a Boxing Day bonus edition of Grilling, the podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which your best of chefs discuss their relationship with food. Now, hopefully, your Christmas lunch was a success. So perhaps you had to downscale your plans somewhat in the last minute. Didn't we all? So if you've got surplus supplies, why not head outdoors? Yes, it may be freezing, but if you've got a few days out, there's no better time to get the barbecue revved up for a spot of warmth from the coals and some seriously smoky flavours. And if you were disappointed not to get a barbecue in your stocking, well, there's still hope, as we're giving away a premium Weber in this episode, just as we have in every other So who have we got for you on this festive special of grilling? Well, not just a chef, but a restaurateur, musician and TV presenter who's led the most extraordinarily colourful life. Andy Oliver grew up on RAF bases in Suffolk and Cyprus before moving to London at 17. It was there she met Nena Cherry, with whom she took to the stage in the band Rip Rig and Panic. She later presented non-cooking shows like Badass TV with none other than iced tea. Yeah, really. But has never lost a love of food Andy, welcome to Hi, Simon. That was a nice that was a nice intro, it was wasn't it? Lovely. I feel so interesting. I honestly, I, I mean there's a bit of pressure now, isn't there? But before we get on to the main main event, I always like it before we kind of come live, and I always always have a chat with whoever mm. I'm with. And um, let's talk hot water taps, because you and I are kind of quite Thanks. excited by them. You were just making tea for me hot water taps. I just I just I just think it, I just love a newfangled thing that I can manage. So it's newfangled, but it's not too complicated, Simon, which is how I like it. You know what I mean? All I've got to do is push the button in at the side and turn it. And I've got pipe. I mean, I literally every day I marvel at the I technology yeah, that I, I, hot thing. water. Have you got cold as well or just hot? No, I've got, I've got I've got several different settings on my taps. So oh. I've got boiling hot, I've got mm-hmm. normal hot, and I've got cold. Yeah, and lukewarm. I mean, I can I can gauge it. I love it. It's it's <laughs> that whole world. So so we're impressed because we're old people. I we're know. Impressed. I mean, literally, we sound <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, it's like it's like having a magician in your kitchen, isn't it? Someone who's yeah. just there. Because in my mind, obviously, there's somebody below the sink who was continually boiling <laughs> the water for me with like pedals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what happened. And then equally, we we also marvelled at the fact that we managed to actually get sound vision. Yes. <laughs> Headphones, amazingly, when you plug the headphones in, it turns out you can hear the other person. It's a miracle. (laughs) All right, let's let's kind of let's start off now. So, like I said in the intro, you know, you've had an incredibly colourful life. So, (laughs) the the RF thing. So, so whereabouts did you end up then? All over the world? Well, we went. Well, we didn't. Well, my dad was always arguing with people. He was just a clerk in the RF. It always sounds like people always go, "Oh, was he a pilot?" I'm like, "No, no, he was a clerk." He was always arguing with people, so he 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 kind of they used to kind of hold him back a bit because he was a bit narky. So we <laughs> we started off in Biggin Hill, and then no, we were in London. Then we went to Biggin Hill. Then we went to Cyprus. Then we came back to London, and then we went to Suffolk, and we ended up in Suffolk because he went to um, RAF Honington, which is up there. And then when he left the RAF, we stayed in Suffolk. So when you were growing up, so it was your early life RAF bases then? Yes. So you schooled in RAF schools yes, and things like yes, that? Yes, 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 Really weird scene, the whole thing. Because yeah, I am, um, I used to be a, a mentor for army chefs for a few years. Oh, right. And spent quite a bit of time on bases. And it is a very strange world, isn't it? I think it's, yeah, a, yeah. I mean, obviously, your childhood is your childhood. You don't realise that it's kind of slightly, I mean, odds maybe an, an insult to people do it, but it's a different childhood, isn't it? I, I thought it was pretty weird then, Simon, because it's all really hierarchical. 
And there's all these, like, you know, there's officers' kids and then there's, like, corporal's kids and stuff. So it's like there's all these horrible tears of importance and it just used to really drive me crazy. Plus it was a bit... I had a teacher that was really racist. He used to call me you people. I mean, what's that about? Wow. So, so, yeah, wow, indeed. So the whole RAF thing, I, in some ways, I'm really glad that we were part of the RAF because it gave me a bit of a wanderlust, I think. And, and it sort of, and it, and it kind of means that you have an inbuilt uh, kind of, you're just not scared of new stuff because you have to have new stuff all the time. You move all the time. New people come in all the time. You're used to a new room. You're being the new girl at the school, the new girl in the class, all of that stuff. And I think that st- stood me quite good stead, actually. But I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say, you know, what's a really good idea. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit weird. Uh, and, you know, you, you touched on the fact that, you know, you had a, a racist teacher. Mm. Back then, I can't imagine the, the number of non-white faces in the British RF. Oh, no, 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 no. There was hardly any. In Bury St Edmunds, which is where I kind of, we landed there when I was about 10, I think, or 11, I was the only black girl for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. So, you know, I kind of got used to being um, the only whatever in the room, which depending on, you know, whether it was the only woman, the only black woman, the only whatever, I, I kind of always, yeah. doesn't really bother me, do you know what I mean? Because it's just what I've, I'm used to, it's what I know. I don't tend to, that's why I find this modern day fascination with putting people into new boxes and yeah. very kind of tight parameters, really exhausting. Because I spent most of my life trying to divest myself of labels and boxes. And because people, if you're the only black girl, they're like, oh, the black girl's going to say something, or the girl's going to say, do you know what I mean? All of that. Yeah. So, and I've always just hated all of that. It's like, can you just listen to what I'm saying, not who's saying it, or your idea of who I am? And do you think that's almost a hindrance as much as it's a help? This constant labelling of people and having to kind of acknowledge every single different label. I just just think it's a bit tiring. I mean, I understand why people need to fight for a voice and I understand why people need to feel that they can categorise themselves in the world. I'm just not one of them. Do you know what I mean? And And we all have different needs and different desires and different ways that we want to live in the world I just I I'm just you know I just it's just another it's a new generation you know I'm 57 I'm like please stop calling me new things I really can't do it I can barely (laughs) cope with the information that's already in my head stop calling me what date's your birthday 26th of May Oh, so well, I'm May as well. So I'm sl- I am yeah. So I'm twenty. So I'm a I'm a Torian. So I'm twenty one days older than you. Oh wow! I can tell that actually. I know. I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking. We, we look a similar age, but I think I look slightly older. And twenty one days is, is, is exactly. You know the key, Simon. Cocoa butter. Get some cocoa butter. <laughs> I hope that if you're if you're kind of listening to this and you have access to kind of watch and recording of it, then do because Andy Oliver so far has sat there and um she has um thrown things into the sink. <laughs> She's now checking on her duck and I'm uh, out. It's out. as ever it's kind of moving around at a rate of knots as you always do. All right. So let, I always so move around at a rate of knots. I like it. I think I think it's good. So who cooked them when you were young? Mum, dad, me. Mm-hmm. A lot as well. We were like, do you remember latchkey kids? Yeah. They used to call us latchkey kids. My mum had it. My mum was a teacher. My dad was in the area. They were at work. Do you know what I mean? So you'd come home from school, we'd make tea. And then I started making cauliflower cheese was the first thing I sort of made really when I was about six or something with mum. Yeah. You know, standing on the floor. So I always used to make the cauliflower cheese on a Sunday. My dad used to sometimes cook the Sunday lunch. He was a classic man of his generation cooking like every single pot chaos absolute like 
bomb site. <laughs> uh, really amazing food, but just shit everywhere, basically. But, but um, he also, though, it's quite unusual because I said the same thing about my dad. My dad always cooked um, and still does cook. Um, but they were quite unusual, both our dads. Yes, In the 70s, dads yes, didn't really cook. Yes, yeah, he was, my dad was a real... Bon he was a terrible human, but just saying, right? He was a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> but he was a really brilliant bon vivant. He knew how to throw a party, my dad, and I totally get that from him. He knew how to, he would make amazing cocktails, he'd make a big spread, he was very lavish about everything. He just was really into the kind of, if we're going to do it, let's do it. I get good music from him and I get good food from him. And so what kind of things were, were, were they? Were, I mean, you've said your dad was a lavish cook. What about your mum? What kind of things? Did My mum was what, what, way more every day. She'd make pies and, you know, like shepherd's pie or a chicken and rice or, you know, everyday tea after school kind of things. Do you know what I mean? Just like your spaghetti bolognese, all the basics yeah. and the staples, the family staples. And then on a Sunday, we would make a, a roast together. And in Caribbean household, roasts are really funny because we tend to mix caribbean food with like european food so you get uh -huh. rice and peas and you get roast potatoes and <laughs> you like get yam that. and you get it's great it's like set seven carbs on a plate what's not to like <laughs> <you know? laughs> but, but do you but do you still cook like that so when i come around to yours uh, for sunday roast after yeah. sunday brunch a few weeks yeah. time andy then yeah. uh, are we getting that are we getting a carb fest uh no i tend to i don't i mean i do what i do is cook too much food all the time i can't help it i'm a total feeder yeah. um and we do things like uh, we got like a food i was staying somewhere else the other day because there have been builders in my house and we got a food delivery box and there was a restaurant upstairs in the hotel so we got like basically the entire menu on the side <laughs> we also had another food delivery box and then we ordered an entire turkish um, menu yeah. on the side as well as me and my friends are just very excessive people so I mean, we just get a little bit panicky if we think there's not going to be enough food so I tend to make I tend to cook how I like to eat which is lots of different things yeah. so you can get a taste of lots of different things you know at Christmas I make you know three to four different kinds of meat I make goose I make ham I'll make some lamb and I'll also cure a salmon or something uh, and seeing as you live on your own you have no friends that's kind of quite good isn't it <laughs> Simon. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so, so you started off in the UK and you sort of said as well that you, that you moved to Cyprus. Yeah. So what happened food-wise out there? Because well, you, you live in that bubble of an RAF place. Yeah, yeah, but Cyprus was cool because for a start you used to finish school at midday. In the summer I think it was one o'clock and in the winter it was like 12 o'clock or something, or the other way around, I can't remember. Yeah, it's the other way around actually. Anyway, so we used to go to the beach a lot and there were other Caribbean families there as well that we were really good mates with. We used to have these picnics on the beach. My aunt Gwen, who was half Guyanese, and the Guyanese and the Trinidadians are like the best cooks in the Caribbean. I mean, they are just mean chefs, all of them. And she used to make these rotis that we had on the beach. I mean, literally, it's like a Proustian thing for me. If I see a roti, I'm transported back to yeah. the beach in in, uh, in in Cyprus and my auntie and the sand, people playing cricket and the beat, the water and the sand, I can feel it, I can smell it, I can taste it straight away. So she used to make rotis and then my mum used to work in this office up there and we used to go meet her and there was a truck, like a food truck and the, he used to make, you know, the Lucania sausages, yeah, yeah. like a bit like Megez kind of thing. Yeah. He used to make these Lucania sausages with like it's a type of halloumi. I don't think it's pure halloumi. It was a slightly stretchier, um, oh, nice. like a fresh cheese. 
He used to get the bread fresh and then grill these sausages and then melt these cheese in the middle. Uh, oh, my God. It was like, oh, the best thing ever, 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 ever. And I think Cyprus is where I first got interested in how food gets onto the plate. I saw somebody killing an octopus and then we yeah. had octopus in the restaurant. And I was like, oh, cool. Didn't gross me out at all. I was like, that's really cool. That's so how, okay. how old were you when you went to Cyprus? Um, about six. Oh, right. oh so, you're, so you're tiny then. Yeah, I was a little, but I kept, we came back and we were there for like three and a half years, sort of thing. Yeah. So by the t- time I came back, I was nearly 10, do you know what I mean? And I started thinking about stuff outside of my parents, you know, outside of the house. You know, when yeah. you're little, you don't really, your parameters are so much narrower. So by the time we got back, I already had foodie thoughts in my head. Like I had a, a dinner party for the first time. I was about 12 or something weird. What? I know, what a weirdo. But I just, I mean, I'm like... <laughs> In a way, I'm like, what do you think? I'm like, because we had a cookbook in the house, and there was this roast chicken in there that I really wanted to make, and there were stuffed potato skins. Uh-huh. Do you remember in the 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skins. And I was yeah. just determined I was going to make these stuffed baked potato skins, and I made roast chicken, stuffed baked potato skins, and made my friends come around to eat it. And I think it was fine, but I think they just thought it was really weird. Yeah, it's really weird. It's funny because I've just been reading um, Tom Allen, the comedian, his yes. um, autobiography, and he was saying that as a child he had a dinner party and he invited me around it and, like, you know, he'd gone to the whole thing of, like, what kind of plates, what kind of knives, what kind of Oh, napkins. bless him. And, and he'd invited kind of three friends and his RE teacher. And I said, you're a weird <laughs> child. R-E I thought, that's really weird. But, hey, look, you've, there's another weird child that I'm speaking there's to. There's another weird child that you're speaking to. I just like to, and I think, you know, I just, I think I worked out quite early on because of watching my dad that food made people happy. Yeah. And cooking for people made them happy. And I like people happy. You know, my mum and dad used to have a lot of parties and the sound of people clinking glasses, laughing, joking, dancing, music. To me, that's like a lullaby. I can, I, that's me drifting off to sleep. I just find that the most soothing, lovely sound in the world. It's, that was my sound of my safety. Yeah, you know what? I completely relate to that. It, it's funny because, and you know, you touched on before about the roast potatoes kind of taking you back to being on the beach in Cyprus. I think if you're brought up with food, then... It never leaves you. You know, no. food and music, which, of course, is the other big yes. which we'll come on to later. Yes. Those kind of things and being able to transport yourself and also put yourself in that yes. zone. It's yes. such an amazing thing to do. And I think, it, I think it gives you sort of agency. It gives mm-hmm. you something within the scenario that, that gives you purchase on the scenario. Do you know what I mean? And I think for yeah. me, it was because I'm, I'm weirdly... And I know lots of gregarious people say this. I'm also quite shy simultaneously as being very um, gregarious and and sort of uh, confident. I'm also quite weirdly shy. And food always gave me a way of being in the social situation, but having been able to control my part of it, I think, actually. Do you think you're still shy? Uh, Not, no. (laughs) 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 Sometimes, sometimes some weird things make me shy, do you know what I mean? Like right, okay. when people are really nice to me, I get a bit shy. I get a bit, oh my God, stop it, you know. Yeah. But, I, but I'm I'm very confident. I feel very powerful these days, actually. Yeah. You know, all my life people say, oh, you're, so, you're really powerful. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? I just never knew what people were talking about. And now, at the age of 57, I feel I've stepped into my power and my natural sense of self I feel really rooted in the earth and in my shoes and it like comfortable in my skin 
So Back when did that thing. happen then? When when do you suddenly think you think you know what this is the Andy Oliver that I really am? Well, it's not sudden, is it? I mean, no. you're the same kind of it's it's yeah. it's incremental. It sort of happens as you gain knowledge. I think basically every time something catastrophic happens in your <laughs> life, you have another building brick and you survive it. Every time something catastrophic happens and you survive it, it's another building brick to feeling a little bit taller and a little bit stronger and a little bit more able to deal with anything. So, you know, there's been a lot of catastrophic things in my life. <laughs> I've survived. And each one of those things has made me uh, has made me understand myself deeper and uh, and to know what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Like I know I'm a terrible bullshitter. I'm really bad at it. I have. To, I just see it. Just so you can see it on my face. People are like she's definitely lying when she said she likes me. I, I, I have to. I, I. 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 And for me, I also realize I have to be working with people. I mean, I'm blessed and lucky that all the people I work with, I have these incredible teams in different places on different projects, and they're all just amazing. And I know that I can't function unless I like the people that I'm around. You know, some people yeah. are quite good at working with yeah. people they don't like. I can't do that yeah. because I just, I'm like allergic to it. I just get like, ah! Yeah. So, I, um, so there are certain things I know that I have to have in place in my life for my own happiness and also for the health of everyone around me. Because <laughs> I, th- I think from my point of view, because I think, I think there's a lot of similarities in the way in which I approach my life. And I sort of found that when I got to my sort of late 40s, yeah. um, I think up to that point that I'd always felt that I couldn't acknowledge that I wasn't the best at anything. I didn't know everything that was Oh, my God, on. I know. It's hard, that. Yeah, and then all of a sudden I thought, you know what? I'm not the greatest at that. So if I have somebody around me who's better at that than me, really? it doesn't mean I'm rubbish. It just means that they've got a different skill set. Yeah. And I found that really liberating. I sort of feel, so it's 10 years now since I've embarked, yeah. if you like, on that journey. Yeah. And I find it's really good. Then I also think that happens is when you hit your 50s, yeah. you do hit people who go like, I don't really give a damn in quite the same way as I did. I can't not be me. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You realise there's only one route through and that in itself is quite liberating. And I think that the payoff for getting older, for not dying yet, <laughs> is, is that you get happier and more uh, at home with yourself, you know. It's yeah. interesting you say that thing about letting yourself be a bit shit. Yeah. Like I, I said it far more eloquently, obviously. Yes, but, obviously, yeah. obviously. But <laughs> I knew what you meant, Simon. And, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm, like, my family, we're all horribly competitive, you know, like, we play rounders, there's people tackling four-year-olds to the ground because they need to learn. <laughs> That's yeah. actually true, I'm telling you. Like, yeah. Shocking. Anyway, for years, I'm, you know, like if I go to a gym class or something, I need to learn it really quick so I can get up the front and be really good at it. That's what I like about it. And I try to go to yoga. Now, I am not a yoga human. It's like my body uh-huh. is not a yoga person body. You know, they jump it through. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like weird little pixie people, you know. And I started going to Bikram yoga last year. Uh-huh. Yoga, you know, yeah, yeah. person, but whatever. And I've allowed myself to be terrible at it. <laughs> and it's a revelation for me. I'm down the back of the class. They're all standing on their head. I'm like, can't do that. Definitely can't do that. Definitely can't do that either. But I let myself do as much as I can do. And it's very, it's quite, it's a new experience for me, Simon, to allow myself to be the shittest in the class. So basically you just stand there and sweat. Is that what you're saying? I stand and sweat. I do do stuff. I just like, you know, when they get their 
ankle and it's up by their chin. I mean, I don't even yeah. understand that. No one needs to do that, do you? No one needs to do that. And it's never going to happen for me that, but I could get it just up past my knee now before it was only on my calf. I can, when you do the back <laughs> leg, I can hold my ankles. I'm like, yeah! Like really little, <laughs> little, little, little. But it's lovely. And I found, I've always wanted to go to yoga. And I've never understood why yoga attracts such mean people. There's always a quite a lot of mean people at a yoga class. And then I found this brilliant one in Holloway. And it's like fat people, old people, thin people, people who are really good, people who are really terrible. And everybody's yeah. just in there sweating away and being really nice to each other. And it's brilliant because I'm a menopausal woman, Simon. I need to find things. <laughs> I'll tread carefully. Calm it down. Yeah, yes. Just so, I mean, we're not even in the same room, but I'm, you've, been, you've been warned. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so let's jump forward a bit so so yeah. we've done the cycling suit we did the RAF thing so what work-wise what was the first what was the first job that you had uh a hairdresser okay I was I was a hairdresser's apprentice for a little while I was really terrible at hairdressing really bad at it and I hated it and then I left Cyprus and I was sorry Suffolk and I came down to London and I joined Rip Rig and Panic. Had you had an interest in music prior to that? Was the idea I mean, of being I, the band No, I'd never, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I used to force my parents to watch me singing in a wooden spoon, Jackson 5 <laughs> medleys, obviously, you know, just the, the normal stuff. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, these boots were made for walking. I'm fantastic at that on the lip sync. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 I was, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I was talking to about this the other day, you know, when, Somebody was like, because oh, my, my partner and I have been together for years, we're not married, I've never wanted to get married, I just can't be bothered, Simon, it's just the same, it seems yeah. like a long team to me, I'm like, really, what, can't we just go on holiday, what's the point? And I was trying to explain to them that I, when I was a kid, I never sat around dreaming about getting married, I used to practice an Oscar acceptance speech, because <laughs> I was just ready for the plaudits, babe, that's what I was doing, <laughs> that's what I really wanted. So... I hadn't really thought about being in a band, but I had thought of being magnificent in something. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so, so how, so how did the band come about then? Well, I, I mean, it's just so weird. So, I came down because my brother had had a car crash, and I went into the hospital, and Nana was there. She was reading. She used to go to him, and re he had his leg in a pin. You know, they used uh -huh. to put your leg in traction. He was in traction. So I went to the hospital to, to see him. This is how long ago it was. Nana was there reading him a book. And he was like, oh, and he'd been trying to get me and her to meet. And Rip Rick and Panic had already started up and they'd done a couple of gigs. Yeah. And uh, he was like, this is my sister. This is Nana who I was telling you about. I was like, hi, hi, hi. And we went out into the hallway of the hospital and had a fag. That's how long ago it was. You could wow. have a fag. And I didn't even smoke. We just had a fag. And we came back in and said, uh, oh, we're going to sing together. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And a month later, we were on the road. Wow. I joined the band and we were on the road and I was doing gigs. The first thing I ever wore on stage, I remembered this yesterday, oddly, was uh, my mum's bedroom curtain. <laughs> and I, I literally just wrapped it around myself and stuck a big pin in the top. <laughs> it was a very nice curtain. How did your parents react to it i mean you know I, I always imagine probably wrongly that you know your dad was a clock in the raf then you sort of think that's to then have a daughter then go i'm gonna go on the road i'm gonna be in a band he wasn't happy yeah i can imagine <laughs> he was he wasn't happy with either of us actually he in fact he had a bit of a nervous breakdown to be honest he was so because he was very uh traditional my dad he passed away yeah. now, but he was very very traditional and very sort of quite uptight about lots of things you know and my mum is much more of a kind of maverick. She's a natural. She just said, you know, because my family are very, very academic. 
my brother and I did not go to university. We're like the only two of the only people in our family who didn't go to university. Everybody's very like schooly and yeah. all of that, apart from us and maybe a couple. I've got over 150 cousins. There's a lot of us, right? <laughs> and um, and they're all really sort of brainy in that kind of way. But I just wasn't. And my mum just said to me, look, if it's not going to work for you, there's no point in doing it. There's no point in going to study unless you're into it. So yeah. you do what you do, what you have to do. And she's always been really supportive and really like, you know, she just wanted us to find our own path and to find a way that would make us fulfilled because she's, you know. Were you making money? Because, I mean, no. you know, you're a tremendous band, but no. God, no. Didn't make any money. I've, I've, it's, this really is the first time in my life in the last few years that I've made actual, like, money money. You know, money that I so I can get my house decorated. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, the band, how long did, how long did the band last? Uh, a few years, I guess. Yeah. I guess, you know, let me think about it. I had Makita when I was 20, so probably about four years, something like that. Was your reputation almost better than your, I'm not saying this, <laughs> I think I'm being rude. Was you think the reputation of the band was almost better than the ability? Uh, in some ways, the re- what we were, everybody thought we were very cool, didn't they? Yes, yeah, hugely. So, um, you know, I mean, we were we were just very drunk, is what we were. We were. Like, I'm not sure how good. We, we, we were fairly perky, the lot of us, and we did have the most fun. I mean, what better way to spend your late teens than traveling around the world with your best yeah. mate, having an absolute whale of a time? You know, and for me, it was like a really when I look back at it, it's such a gift to have that kind of musical education. You know, we were on, Cherry was on the road with us. We played with incredible people, Anal Vasconcelos in Brazil. We went to Japan with Don. We just did incredible things and met extraordinary musicians who enriched my knowledge and thirst for artistic and endeavour. And actually, one thing Nana's dad really taught me was that because he was a proper jazzer, you know, Don Cherry. Yeah. And he taught me that it's a way of life. It's like living your life with freedom and liberation and following your spirit are a choice. You know, you can choose to, 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 to walk that path or you can choose to do, you know, another way. One is not necessarily better than the other, but there are alternative ways to live your life, you know, if you really, really want to do that. And that was like a gift he gave me when I was quite young, really the kind of guts to do that. Which is funny because I've, I'm always envious of people who have been in the music industry or are in the music industry because I think it's something that, that everything you said then, we're not, again, you know, we're the same age. At that age, I remember thinking, wow, what an amazing thing to do. The kind of two major things held me back for it. One is that I can't sing and two that I can't play a musical instrument. Oh, probably three. I was never cool. But, but apart from that, I, I, could, I could have been in the band. Little impediments there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apart from that, I was, I was almost in the band. But actually, but, but in the punk days, it. obviously, in the punk yeah. days, not, not an enormous impediment to not be able to sing. Or yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that there's something back then and I still think now when you see a band who are in it for the creative journey yeah, yeah. rather than it being a career yeah, the yeah. career for, for I always think successful musicians comes second you can't stop being creative yeah yeah an artist you know if somebody's an artistic or creative person then you you realize that if you don't follow that way of living, you're just going to be really unhappy. Do you know what I mean? And I think the same things that make me a good performer make me a good cook. You know, I th- I think the two things are in- inextricably and intrinsically linked. Yeah. Music and food to me are the 
they're the building blocks of life, aren't they? So when you're on the road then, as a teenager going all around the world as a musician, what, what happened with your cooking back then? We used to cook all the time. We used to cook yeah. all the time. We used to cook as soon as we got back to England. Me and Nana would get straight down uh, Portobello Market or um, uh-huh. North End Road Market and Portobello Road Market, and we'd get the chicken on and get the rice on. We had no money, but Nana and I could feed at like 10, 20 people for like 10 quid. Yeah. We'd go down yeah. the market, chicken wings, bag of rice, bag of potatoes, whatever, loads of like leaves, a bit of oil, some lemon, and you're, you're good to go. And so when did this switch happen then? When did when did cooking almost start to overtake? I mean, because your relationship with Nana is so, so tremendous, and you've cooked together for a long time. Yeah. That's a really hard question for me to answer, because actually the two things have simultaneously just always been there in my life. When we did a show for BBC Two, we did a show called Nana and Andy Dish It Up. Yeah, fantastic. For BBC Two, which was really fun. So before that, I had started cooking at this place called The Globe, which Uh was like a filthy, dirty speakeasy off Portobello Road, where I met my boyfriend, actually. Right. So, but that's an entirely other story. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was like a speakeasy. It was at the bottom of my road. And we all used to run it as a kind of art mad collective. All these different people used to run it different ways. There was a massive kitchen in the back with a big range cook. And I just started cooking in there. I just started making massive trays of chicken, huge rice and peas, great big trays of salad. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, I used to do that. And people would go downstairs to the club and then come up at like two in the morning, like hanging, desperately hungry. And we would feed them. And yeah. that's where that was the first time people paid me for food I was making. And that's a great feeling. Don't yes. You think? When that I, happens, yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. People like this thing that I'm doing. And I mean, literally, people were like crying. They were desperate for this food. You know, it's like sort of honey baked <laughs> chicken and rice and peas and big nice. lemony salads and uh, uh, bananas fried in rum with butter and pancakes and stuff right nice yeah um i, I want to touch on something because something that you've said in the past is that you, you, your brother died when he was 27 yes and, and you i've read in the past that that you felt that that was almost a moment when you almost couldn't stop cooking almost cooking oh yeah a, a therapy yeah it, it was a sort of it was i mean it was it was such a surreal weird time because we were all so young and suddenly sean had gone and I actually, I mean, what, I remember at one point being at Nana's house, we were in the countryside and I'd made this pot of gravy and we became hysterical because we looked at the pot of gravy and we realised it was like gravy for 250 people and there were about eight <laughs> people in the house. And we just, it was like a sort of security blanket. I just kept making food, making food, making food, yeah. making food. I mean, that slowed down because it had to, but it was like, it was like my balm and it was like a way of getting back to life and the living in some way, I think. And you, you still, I mean, you, I mean, you've sort of alluded to that already. You clearly still feel that as well, you know, that, that cooking, for any kind of existential crisis that you have in your life, whether it be big or small, yeah, yeah, I cook for cooking everything. Is, is your escape. You go, right, I'm yeah. going to cook now. Yeah, I cook for, I cook for everything. I cook for, just, I've just been doing like a really quite seriously, almost punishing film schedule. Um, for three months I've been filming I had one day off a week and my makeup yeah. artist has been living with me with, in this cottage in um, in, in Stratford-upon-Avon and on my day off I cook all day 
She's yeah. like, well, I thought you were going to relax. I'm like, I am relaxing. This is yeah, relaxing. and it's yeah. true because people always say to me, you know, well, you know, do you still like to cook at home? I do. Yeah, because no. from my point of view, to go home and cook for friends and family is very different to yes. a restaurant. Having yeah. a play around and just yeah. doing nice things. It's like my, I mean, I just get so happy. Last Sunday was like the first Sunday I've been able to cook for ages and I made this lovely uh shoulder of lamb i had this black garlic and i made a sort of black nice. garlic prune paste yeah and rubbed it all in the lamb and just slow cooked it with a load of white wine and onions and garlic and leave it was so good and it just nice. made me really it just makes me happy it's a balm for my soul it really yeah. is it's like there's something meditative i find about it just the rhythm of it the moving through the kitchen just the getting the ingredients deciding you know, I've got like an audio book on and I'm peeling and well, I've got yeah. some music on and I'm, you know what I mean? It's like my own yeah. dance with myself. It just makes me very happy. So so when you cook and you have music on, mm. okay, so how do you, I'm intrigued this because I do, how do you curate the music you're going to do? I've got playlists on my yeah. like Spotify thing, you know. Yeah. And so I will put one of the playlists on or I start making a new playlist. My friend's got a little boy who is now two and I've taken control of his musical education. But, uh, <laughs> one, one, because I'm very bossy. She's here, actually, and she can definitely hear me. She's in the other room. <laughs> and two, because her and her husband have got terrible taste in music. So I, I've got, at the moment, I've been listening to Leo's playlist, which I've got on my sort of her. And yeah. it's quite eclectic. Most of the playlists I've got are quite eclectic. You know, last time I saw you when we did Sunday Brunch, I was telling you about What's for Dinner, Mummy? which yeah. is this thing that me and Makita do where we play tunes and cook food and stuff. And if you listen to that, the playlist, it's like anything... From Solomon Burke to um, to the Jam, back yeah. to Aretha to Dinah Washington to I don't know Woody Guthrie, you know yeah. it's I'm, it's a very broad palette we're talking about because I I love most Same. genres of yeah. music, yeah. possibly not thrash metal. Uh, I'll just I'll just get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not totally up on my thrash metal, but I you know. <laughs> And I, yeah. I, you know, I like to listen to new stuff as well. There's a great band called Salt. Have you heard that album? No. S A U L T. Get it, get it done. Okay, mate. I will. I'm actually going to do it now because I'll forget yeah. and because of, S- because I'm an old person. Yeah, yeah. You put it in your phone, babe. Put it in your. Hold on. S A U L T. Yeah, S A U L T. L T. Right. And there's also Eliza, who was Eliza Doolittle, and she's done this record. She's done a tune called "Alone and Unafraid." She's fantastic. She's oh been on Sunday God. Brunch. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's on. So is the album called Untitled? 15 yes, songs. that's the one. That's the okay, one. fine. Right, we've added that. Get so um, grilling listeners, there we go. We can all have a listen to that. Um, then we can tell Andy that she's got terrible music taste. It's and such we, a cool uh, record. You won't I shall go back listening to the Cheeky Girls and Thrash Metal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, now every week um, we set our chefs uh, a little bit of a recipe challenge, oh, yeah. um, and and this is this is your moment, Andy. So basically, what we do is we give you forty five seconds oh, um, uh, to describe and sell to me a dish. Okay, mm-hmm. you can have any piece of meat, any piece of fish, any piece of veggies. You've got to do uh, some kind of cure or rub. Uh, you've got to do some kind of cold dish, uh, and you need to have a sauce as well. The other fact you have to have, it has to be prepared on a barbecue. Oh, okay. And you have to, this has to be, I mean, at the end of the day, you're a creative human being who's written music. I want this to be 
this is for an Ivan Novello award, really. It's right. got to be. It's so, got to be that good. Okay, so I've got a question. Are we yeah. starting with the cold dish and then we have the hot dish and then we have the side? Doesn't matter. You've got forty-five seconds to sell me the entire dish, whichever way you want to do it. All you right. can do it. Right. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, three, two, one. Go. Right, so we're starting with a uh, side of salmon and we're going to cure it in a shrub. A shrub is pickled fruit. It's a really old way of, uh, of preserving fruit. So instead of just making a grava lux, we're going to take all the berries we can find, blackberries and raspberries and blueberries and everything. We're going to pickle them with salt and with sugar and we're going to lay that down on top of the salmon. 20 seconds wrap it up. Oh my God, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so there's, there's a very cured salmon and then we're going to rub chicken thighs with uh, cumin... Coriander, garlic. Fifteen seconds left. Stop it! You're freaking me out. And then we're going to make orange and ginger syrup. And then we're going to make three cheese bread and butter pudding with a smoked chili uh, rare bit on the top. Nice. Forty-one seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you get the Alva Novello though. That's horrible. That's absolutely hard, isn't it? I was getting very deep into. Weren't you? Yeah. It's my shrub. I wanted to tell you all about my shrub because we entitled well, it. Tell, tell, tell me now. Now we're through that. Tell me about the now, shrub. Now, we're, now we're time is not an issue. I don't like that yeah. at all, by the way. <laughs> um, so you, were, you were actually going into a, a 14 minute improv yes, jazz solo yes, there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Brevity is not my friend. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so my, so my, tell me about your shrub. My niece Tyson uh, is a, she's a singer. She's amazing. She's Nana's youngest uh, middle daughter, actually. Yeah. And um, she's a bartender as well as being an incredible singer at sometimes. And she had been pickling all this fruit and she had it in a jar in the fridge. I was like, what is that? She's like, it's a shrub. We use it as the base of a cocktail. It's a really oldie, oldie, worldy English way of preserving fruit. And I was like, we could get salt and sugar in that and whack it on the salmon. Nice. Put it on a whole side of salmon, wrapped it up in cling film left it in the fridge for like a good few like you know eight hours or something and then took it out and we then uh, froze it and they cut it really really thin and then reduced all the berries on the side and made like a little drizzling syrup and it was absolutely sounds amazing delicious pickled fruit cured salmon basically nice so do you do you barbecue much all the time I am in possession of many Webbers, actually. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I love barbecuing, though. And you know what's interesting is that another thing that Nana taught me was winter barbecuing, because she's Swedish. Oh, fantastic. The best time to do it. She's Swedish. I mean, why would you stop cooking and getting all those incredible flavours just because it's cold? It's like you just put it outside. It's outside anyway. You can yeah. cook it outside. You don't have to sit out there, do you? You can just cook it. And that's the thing. That's what people think. You know, you can only barbecue if you're kind yeah. of standing outside next to it. It's just people. It's, I think is it the, the, the least interesting thing to make on a barbecue are your burgers and your sausages. Dead yes. boring. Well, that's the thing, I think. People tend to, I think, cook things too quickly on the barbecue. Yeah. They're not thinking about it uh, as a sort of long all-day situation, you know. So I love I love smokiness. I don't like hickory that much, uh-huh. and I don't like oak that much because I find that they kind of lay on the palate and they okay. overtake everything else. So I quite like to smoke with like apple wood or cherry wood or other types and spices as well, cinnamon and star yeah. and things like that. We make little different packs of smoking uh, mixtures that we put inside the barbecue. In my barbecue, there's a little box that you can put inside that uh-huh. you sit on the side and it smokes through the whole thing. So uh, we do like an overnight pork, like a Cuban pork, oh, mojo nice. pork. And um, that involves a lot of cub- cumin, oregano, garlic, uh, fresh thyme, 
um, loads of onions and got uh, loads of onions and orange zest. Yeah, lots of orange zest, and you rub all that into the pork. Wrap it. Or if you've got like um, uh, banana leaves or fig leaves, absolutely brilliant. Wrap it up and put it in the top of the barbecue, or if you've got one of those smokers, put it in yeah. and literally smoke it overnight, and then finish it up on the barbecue bit like a tamarind smoked chili sauce for the end. So you t- just tamarind, red wine, smoked chilies, reduce that down. You've got a really lovely barbecue sauce, roast some tomatoes and garlic, blitz it through and brush that on the pork and then get that onto the hot barbecue at the end. And it's like melt in the mouth, absolutely delicious. I think we should have timed that one because that was better than the one you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was about half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could give you recipes, I just can't do it quickly. It was beautiful. Right, before we go on, Andy, a word on our competition. As I mentioned, we're giving away a Genesis 2 gas barbecue and Weber Connect smart grilling hub in every single episode of the podcast. Genesis 2 is a premium gas barbecue that makes it easy to get great tasting food. The smart grilling hub is an accessory which connects to your phone via an app. It guides you step-by-step through prepping and cooking and even telling you when to flip your food and when it's ready to eat. It's a serious piece of kit. I genuinely use it all the time. So if you want to win one and try Andy's recipe on it, here's your chance. All you have to do, head to weber.com forward slash grilling. That's weber.com forward slash grilling, where you'll be able to find the terms and conditions and the closing date for entries. The competition is open to UK residents only. Now, the Weber website is also the place to find a host of tips for barbecuing in all weathers and seasons and a fantastic range of recipes, including whole roasts, perfect for this time of year. All right, now, this is our sort of Boxing Day special. Obviously, you know, we record this before Christmas. So let's look ahead to what's going to happen. What's happening in the Oliver household then for Christmas? What are we cooking? Well, I'm going to Antigua for a start, which is... Oh, for goodness sake. What? <laughs> so I'm going to be barbecuing at Christmas. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Whole fish. I'm going to barbecue whole fish and make like a sort of uh, chimichurri. So lo- I'm going to get wild Antiguan herbs. There's a thing yeah. that they make in Antigua called bush tea, which mm-hmm. is what they give you when you're ill. And it's all sorts of weird mountain Antiguan herbs and shrubs and stuff. So I'm going to chop all that stuff up, blitz it down with garlic, really good oil. Uh, but rub the, just slash whatever fish I can get, rub salt into it, get it on the barbecue so the skin goes really nice and crispy. And okay. then put make the, just add the chimichurri at the end. And lots of salads and and a ch- I really like. Do you know what a chow is? A mango chow. So it's no. like mango, just chopped up mango, chili, fresh coriander, a little bit of spring onion, and it's oh, just a beautiful. really nice, like little garnish on the side of things. So why why Antigua for Christmas then? Is this a oh, regular my family's, my family's Antiguan. It's where we okay. come from. It's where we come from. I'm taking my my boyfriend and I have been together for over twenty years. He's yeah. never been to Antigua. So wow. we're going to Antigua for the first time together, which is really fun. I'm just going to go see my family. Yeah. Right. All right. So, so we, we've kind of mentioned your boyfriend twice now. So that you met yes. him in a, in a CD speakeasy, which yes, tells me a did. lot about him. Uh, <laughs> I already, knew, I already knew that about you. Um, so, <laughs> what, what, what does he do? Come on, I need. He, we need the, we need the he, secret he, information now. He curates art exhibitions. He used to work with these people called the Mutoid, uh, Mutoid Waste and and Mutate Britain, and they yeah. had a massive um, art space in the middle of Shoreditch for about nine years. When you know wow. when Shoreditch was all arty and being built up, that was them yeah. in the middle of all of that. 
Uh, we now work on with Daddy Kitchen together, which is our project that's um, it's a heritage Caribbean recipe project. And we're yeah. starting a, we've got a new site in Hackney Wick that we're going to be opening next year. Oh, tell us and about that. This, this is new. We found this brilliant spot in Hackney Wick. Hackney Wick's a really funny place. It's like, it's either great or weird and grim. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to start doing delivery boxes so people can get like home barbecued Caribbean winter barbecue. Um, delivered to their houses like uh, the chick that pork that I was talking about the moho pork because people forget that Cuba's Caribbean you know the Caribbean's got such breadth in terms of and in turn, and did you know this? This is really, I found this out, Simon. Andy is now wagging her finger at me, <laughs> which, I, which I'm now finding myself sitting up straight as if I've been told off yeah. by a teacher. No, no, but listen. Like a horrible this. memory. I found this. this out. I found this out. This is amazing. So the Taino Indians are the indigenous people of uh, one of the indigenous um, uh, uh, people of the Caribbean islands. And the word barbecue is a Caribbean word. It comes from the Taino Indians. They were the first people to cook under a, sm- a structure and use the smoke as the embers to cook food. I know, I just discussed. So then that, that became barbacoa and that became barbecue. So take that to the I- bank. I, I, love I, I love that. That's a, that's, I know. It's actually finally 54 minutes into our conversation. <laughs> Andy says something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when will this start, Andy? This sounds an amazing. Uh, we're starting at the end of January. End of January, yeah. we're going to start doing that, and um, so people will be able to get that. And then, as soon as like lockdowns are lifted and things like that, there's a huge terrace out there. We're going to be, you know, having amazing parties and cooking uh, Caribbean barbecue, and people can come down and have a really lovely time because food and music and people. These are the th- this is the stuff of life. It's what we all need to keep yeah. us going. We did a pop up. We did two restaurants in lockdown. Actually, wow. I mean, what well, I don't yeah. know what the I mean, what is the matter with me? It's like people desperately <laughs> trying to. I'm like, let's open a restaurant. So we did one in my friend's pub garden. We actually wheeled all the weathers up there and yeah. did a Caribbean barbecue in the pub garden because the pub was empty. And then uh, Fred Syriex, who I went to Morocco with, yeah. came down to the pub and he loved it. And he said, let's do something together. So we did one love also in Clapton, and it was just absolutely lovely. So this is the third, uh, no, it'd be the fourth Daddy project that we're going to be launching in end of January. That sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what else is on the horizon then? I mean, you know, you, you're constantly busy and you constantly kind of strive to kind of push yourself. Well, I just like doing new stuff all the time, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, got a couple of projects I'm working with, on with my daughter next year that I can't really talk about yet but I'm very excited about because I just love it's really lovely for us to work together for me and her you know we went to um we went across Asia together we did a uh it was called the endurance car rally we drove across Thailand Cambodia and Vietnam in a 1953 Morris Minor and yeah that was pretty wow (laughs) (laughs) and she can't drive so I did all the driving (laughs) And it, but it was an amazing thing to do. And we realised we're very, very close because I was quite young when I had it. You know, we're, I was a single parent for quite a long time. So we've got a kind of real bond in that kind of way that single parents yeah. have with their kids a lot of the time. And uh, it just brought us in because all our family were like, you're going to do what? You're going <laughs> to kill each other. And we were like, no, it's going to be fine. And what it did, it was really like sink or swim. It made us more patient with each other. and We just learned how to not get just shitty with each other. It was a really amazing thing to do, actually. And do, you think, do you think that's an age thing as well, Andy? You know, again, coming back to what we said before, but almost kind of like, you know, finding yourself, but also the same with the kids. Because, you know, so is she 37 now, then? She's 36. 
Oh my goodness! Because <laughs> in my mind, she's kind of twenty. 50. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? That, that that's she the was, thing. She was so young when she was doing pop world. She was fifteen, yeah. you know, when she started doing pop world. She was only fifteen. Yeah. So people are like her, how how they, people can't actually work out how old she is because she because they've grown up with her, but she's still only thirty six, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yes, it's maturity on her part, maturity on my part. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and as you get older, you become grateful for things, don't you? You're, I'm so grateful Hugely. that yeah. we have each other. I'm so grateful that we're afforded the opportunities we are. I'm so grateful that I get to work with my child and have a great yeah. time. I mean, you know, hell, hallelujah, hallelujah, Simon, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the, the, the final bit of, uh, of our uh, podcast we ask all of our kind of all of our kind of guests to tell us about a hidden gem. It, it, I don't want it to be a posh restaurant. It needs to be whether it be a little shack somewhere or a coffee shop or or a pastry somewhere or an experience that you've had that kind of that, that you think about when you're trying to find your happy place and you go, do you know what? I'd really like to go to Blah and have their bacon butty and that greasy spoon. Yeah. Where are you taking our listeners to, Andy? Oh, I think. I'm going to say the High Cafe, which okay. is, uh, it's in Clapton, where I live. It's just on um, Lower Clapton Road. Yeah. And it's run by, High is a place in northern Vietnam. Uh-huh. And uh, it's run by this family. It's like two aunties, a mum and their sons. And it's, they only have about six things on the menu. But these six things are just like mind-bogglingly beautiful. Like the food it's like getting the hug from your mum that you didn't know you needed to have. Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so full of flavour. It's so beautifully made. They're so lovely. They suffuse the whole thing with this kind of patina of care and detail and attention and thought. And it's a little tiny cafe. There's only like three or four tables in there. And yeah. I only discovered it last in the summer. And honestly, it's just delicious. Wow, this sounds amazing. Rice. They make this yellow slow-cooked pork curry that is just to die, to die, to die. I highly recommend it. They do spring rolls with this incredibly thin, thin, thin spring roll. They do a crab, square crab spring roll. Oh, wow. That is that like, delicious. oh, my God, holy moly. Please love it. I love that as a recommendation. I love them. Oh. They're such good people. One of the things that, um, it, almost a sort of starting point for the whole premise of the podcast was about pivotal moments. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look back over your career, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about kind of food, it, but it helps if it is. Is there a moment you look back and you go, that's the thing that made me go into a certain direction that, that, or that made the Andy Oliver that we're talking to now? There is, actually, oddly. Uh, you'd think that I'd have to think a lot more about that question, wouldn't you? But actually, we did a dinner. There was a guy... <laughs> I mean, it's a very weird story because he basically he died. <laughs> right. <laughs> he came down because he wanted to invest in a restaurant. And I still was felt really unsure about whether I could do that and whether, you know, because I've had no training. I taught myself everything, you know, and I just, and I, so we did a menu for this guy. He was, was he called Robert Kelly? Yeah. Yeah, he was called Robert. <laughs> and uh, she said that. And, uh, and so I, it, that, I made You can this... hear the background is, is Andy's entourage. And if you can see this then, basically there's a whole kind of glam squad that's kind of next to her. Yeah. And uh, obviously a, a team of backing musicians for when she does the, yeah, uh, the grilling. Yeah. 
theme tune yeah. at the end for us. Yeah, like, yeah, just, in case, just in case. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and I had to sort of, and so the partners that I was working with were like, can you do a menu for this guy? Because when we think we'd like to work with him on the restaurant. And I came up with this menu and I, I invented this thing that was like chocolate butter beef. And I wow. made this like dark chocolate butter and pick ginger pickled onions. And it was like so good. I blew my own mind. You know, you blow your own mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, I'm really good at this. Yeah. I can really, do, and I can be really creative. I can actually take the flights of fancy that I have. Because, you know, you, I bet you have little food dreams. And stuff, Non-stop, like yeah. All the time. So that was the first time I realized that those food dreams and those ideas, could I could actually put them onto a plate. And they could become something magical and wonderful. And he absolutely, and he was like a real uh, uh, Epicurean, this man. Yeah. In all over the world, and eating his face. And he was just like, oh my God, this food is incredible. And I blew his mind with the food. And it was the first time I felt like a chef. I like it. But it's funny, isn't it? Because it doesn't even have to be, I mean, that is a big moment because it's a pivotal yeah. moment. But it's that thing that, you know, those moments in your life are that thing that you go, Wow, boxes are ticked. I can do works. this and I'm good at yeah. it. I can do this and I'm good at it and I could learn more and I could get even better. Yeah. If I really focus on this. This is some, this, and it, it's because it's always about finding your voice. Yes. Whether it's singing or cooking or whatever it is, it's about finding your voice and your path to tread and walk on. And so that was a real moment for me where I felt like I had my voice. And actually, yeah. what we're doing now with Wadadley Kitchen, I feel like I've and I, you know, I've I've kind of done things with varying degrees of success. Some of them work, some of them are like that's a bit shit. That's great. Yeah. That's not. You know what I mean? It's trial and error a lot of the time, isn't it? Hugely. And, um, yeah. I feel now with with Dadly Kitchen that I've really found my voice. When we did One Love up the road, I really felt like it was me singing my song on those plates. What and, a nice, what a nice analogy. And it just it just made me feel really calm and happy. And that's when you know you're doing something right in the kitchen when you feel calm and happy, right? Andy, it's uh, it's been a joy to speak <laughs> to you. It always is. It's always kind of good to see you. Um, I'm incredibly jealous that by the time this goes out on Boxing Day, <laughs> that you will be in Antigua and it will be beautiful, and you'll be having a really, really lovely time. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'll be I'll be in probably rainy, miserable tier three uh, <laughs> UK. Um, <laughs> well, get some delivery boxes. They're fabulous. Right. They're cute point. Oh, they're good. Always, always a joy to see you. Um, oh, take fine. care. Thank you, Thank you uh, so much. Love. Cheers, right. darling. See you Bye. Thank you for joining Andy and me on this Boxing Day episode of Grilling. I don't know about you, but she's made me incredibly jealous to think that whilst we're listening to this, she is in Antigua on the beach, but firing up the barbecue. Some of those ideas for the barbecue were out of this world. And you can still do it over here, even if you've got to put your hat and scarf on. And head to weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas. They even show you how to do a Christmas turkey. Now, I did that a couple of years ago on my barbecue, and it was superb. Uh, if you do head to weber.com forward slash grilling, not only will you find details of the competition, you'll also be able to get a free barbecue barbell cookbook with the purchase of selected accessories. Subscribe to Grilling on your favourite podcast app, rate us and tell your friends about us too. Uh, grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. Hold up. 